Today we are starting in Luke chapter 5 and verse 33. Um, if you remember, Jesus has started his ministry, mainly in Galilee. He's been performing miracles, casting out demons, healing people of their physical ailments, and he's prioritizing preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Uh, we just recently saw he's called a few men to follow him, and he has been around some less than desirable people, a leper, right, and, the, and tax collectors, Levi and his buddies, and the word is spreading about who he is all over the place. People are finding out about him, um, especially as we're going to see here, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, take interest in what's going on. So we move from last time the story ends with Jesus uh, being accused, uh, saying, why do you eat with tax collectors? Why are you feasting with these sinners? And the first part of what we look at today is, why do you not fast, Jesus? They're asking him. So the first is like, why are you associating with sin? And now, why are you not being upright and pious and fasting like uh, those other like religious people should be doing? The Israelites, so you know, were just required actually to fast only one time per year on the Day of Atonement. And um, they sometimes would choose to fast more than that. But um, the Pharisees would fast twice a week on Monday and Thursday, which kind of became the sign of, of self-righteousness. We're very devoted to God because of this. And um, I'm not sure exactly what the routines were of, of John's disciples, as it says here, but um, in general, you would fast as a sign either of kind of mourning or because things aren't right in the world. But you have this hope that one day they will be right, but you're fasting in this temporary, oh, it's, just not, it's just not right yet. And Jesus, I think, is kind of saying, hey, the, the future that you hope for is now. So now is not the time to fast. The good news of the kingdom of God is, is starting now in me. This is a time of celebration. So it's, you don't go to a wedding celebration and don't eat. You're, oh, I'm sorry, I'm fasting. No, you celebrate, you feast at that time. So I think Jesus is saying here, hey, guys, you're not understanding the time that we're living in. Like John was describing from the book of Isaiah, that all of creation, the mountains and the valleys are kind of snapping into focus. You're not understanding the time. You're not understanding who I am. Now is not the time to fast. Um, when it says they will fast on the, when the bridegroom is taken away from them, uh, some people take that as when, when Jesus has taken away is that time between his death and his resurrection, those three days, then you'll fast. Other people think that he's talking about when he's taken away as far as he ascends to the Father, um, like he is now, and before he returns. So in this 2,000 years, in that time, when I'm taken away, you will fast. I don't know which it is. Um, I think it's the latter. But the larger point here is that the Messiah, the Savior King, is here now with you so celebrate don't fast a little side note um, i think that jesus will expect that his disciples would eventually start fasting again not just for those days that he's in the tomb but when he's uh, resurrected and with the father um, in matthew 6 before this he um, before this this time uh, he taught his disciples how to fast. He said, when you fast, do it this way, kind of anticipating that they would fast in the future. And also you begin to see in the early church in the book of Acts a couple of times that the church was fasting for different purposes. So um, it's also kind of my opinion that the, the day and time that we live in, in this already but not yet 
kingdom of God, when things have started to be changed because of the coming of the Messiah, but they're not already yet perfected his kingdom, um, there's probably appropriate times to both feast and to fast. We should feast and celebrate because we acknowledge that Jesus, the Messiah, has come. And as he tells us, his presence is always with us. So in that way, we, we don't need to fast. But I think we can have times of fasting saying things aren't right as they are right now. We're waiting for your return, Jesus, where you return and you make all things right. So I think both can be done with a, a right heart in that. This part that he talks about new garments and new wine, um, I found myself a little bit confused as I was looking at that and just wanted to really parse down what exactly is he saying. Um, but note that it does say he told them a parable and he doesn't really explain the parable here. And so I think that um, we can just, we're supposed to kind of just ponder what he means with it. Um, I would say at the very least we can say, Jesus is saying, hey, something new is happening. This is a new era. It, it's different than anywhere that we've been before. If you remember, in the beginning of chapter 3, Luke kind of set up uh, John the Baptist and Jesus coming on the scene in his adult ministry with these historical markers of, hey, it's the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Herod the Tetrarch is leading Galilee. He kind of sets up the historical period that this new thing is beginning to happen. And John the Baptist comes on the scene and he starts to announce this shift, prepare the way of the Lord, Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. Everything's coming to attention in Jesus. And something new is happening. And that new thing can't exactly be pasted onto what has been before. Okay? So the old must be kind of like just the, the old way of thinking, um, the old era, the, the age before Jesus the Messiah came. Right? So that time when you'd kind of try to to make your own righteousness, you try to do all the right things, you try to make yourself right with God, you try to keep the letter of the law and then some just to make sure that you're making yourself holy. And so it made sense that they would think, well, we'd stay away from sinners like Levi and his buddies, and uh, and we should probably do really pious things like fasting as much as we can to show God how, how much we worship him. And you kind of create religion based on what you have been given and then your own logic. I think old wineskins or old garments are religion without the life-transforming power of Jesus. Even religion that acknowledges who God is, but it's based on the power of man. That's, that's the old way, which we know doesn't work. We saw that pattern in the entire Old Testament when we went through that a few months ago. But Jesus is saying, I'm bringing something new that doesn't fit into that old paradigm. I am the, the way now. So you kind of old garments or you old wineskins, you, you won't receive me because you're gonna say, no, nah, the old is good. We, we think that we are good enough. We think that we have achieved or arrived at what the right religion is. And Jesus is like, no, no, I'm seeking, I need new wineskins who will recognize me for who I am, the savior, the king who I am the authority, I alone interpret the law, I show you the way to God. And unless you can be like a fresh new wineskin that can kind of stretch and flex with the new wine that I bring, you're going to burst, you're going to tear. You can't take me and fit me into your old way of thinking, the new and the old. The next little section uh, is about 
Jesus um, with the uh, his disciples eating and making uh, picking plucking grain on the Sabbath, and um, they were apparently breaking Sabbath law according to the Pharisees. Um, that was the real issue. The issue wasn't that they were, like I would think on first read, they were eating grain that didn't belong to them. Hey, that belongs to somebody else. But no, they were allowed in Old Testament law actually to um, to eat their neighbor's grain. They couldn't like start hacking it down um, with their sickle and start harvesting somebody else's land. But if they're just walking by, they're welcome to take a handful and kind of um, and eat that little bit of grain. Uh, so that's that's not what the, the law that's being broken. They weren't stealing there. But the problem was they were working on the Sabbath. At least that's what the Pharisees bring to their attention. Um, the Pharisees would have said, hey, you're, you're preparing food. You're, you're plucking, you're rubbing it in your hands. This is work, and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Okay? Now, I think that their, their argument is lacking and what they're bringing up would be an extremely kind of fine point of debate of whether Jesus and the disciples were actually breaking God's law or not. Okay, by rabbinic oral tradition, yeah, he probably broke maybe their legalistic interpretation of God's law, but by actual scripture, he didn't even really break the law. There's nothing that said on the Sabbath you couldn't just take your hand out and rub a little bit of uh, stalks of grain together and eat it or whatever, however you do that. Um, I wonder, and I kind of think what's going on here is that Jesus is purposely doing something that's kind of right on the edge of technical law breaking, though he's not really breaking the law. He's, he's not quite there, but he wants to use that to reveal something about himself and about the hearts of the Pharisees. So, Jesus brings up this story, this Old Testament story about David, who you don't remember it if you just read the Old Testament probably, but since Jesus brings it up, it kind of snaps our attention here. He brings up this story about David as an argument against what the Pharisees are arguing. And um, he knows that the Pharisees would never want to criticize King David. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 21, you can look at it if you want, but um, David is fleeing as usual Saul. And he comes to the tabernacle, and in a bit of emergency, because he's hungry and the guys that were with him, they need food, um, he goes into the tabernacle because he knows in there will be what's called the bread of the presence, or the showbread. Um, this was, uh, as described in Leviticus, this is 12 loaves of bread that were in the holy place in the tabernacle, and then later the temple. Um, 12 loaves of bread, kind of this sign of God's provision that were to always stay in there. Well, every Sabbath, that bread would be replaced, and then the old bread could be eaten, but that could only be eaten by the priests, okay? Um, it's very clear that that was for the priests to eat and nobody else. So when in this Old Testament story, David requested to eat that bread, and he did break it, he broke, um, he, he gave it to his, his uh, people with him, he was actually breaking the law. It was a clear violation of what God had set up in the law. So I think what's going on is Jesus and his disciples are arguably breaking the law, not really, but David and his men did what was not lawful. It makes really clear here in uh, chapter 5 verse, um, what is it? Uh, da, 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 da. Enter the house of God. 
uh, verse four, sorry, chapter six, verse four, he entered the house of God, took it and ate it, which it is, it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he gave it to those who are with him. So clear breaking of the law, Jesus, maybe not so much. And so Jesus argument here is, if you let David off the hook, who you revere and thinks is this great guy, then why are you bringing this up with me? This is less of an issue than what David himself did. So maybe the issue isn't that I'm breaking the Sabbath, Jesus is saying, but that you have something against me specifically. And then Jesus kind of pulls the mic drop by saying, hey, let's not argue about the finer points of the Sabbath law. I am Lord of the Sabbath. Boom. Right? So this is, I, I can do what I want. This is okay for us to do because I said so. Okay? Um, I think the main point of this section and the next is that Jesus, as the Son of Man, is an authority. So don't tell me what I can do, Jesus says. Um, I know that he would say that the, the Pharisees are used to making these arguments with, by quoting other rabbis and kind of making a certain case, but Jesus is like, hey, what I say go, goes. I'm, I'm the Lord of this law, of the Sabbath law. And then lastly, it goes on to the man with the withered hand. And again, we have to ask, what's the issue that they're taking with Jesus? Is it that he's healing somebody's diseased body? Well, no. Um, that would have been okay. Nobody would have argued about that. But it was that he was healing specifically on the Sabbath. Now, again, there's actually nothing in God's law in Old Testament scripture, the Torah, that said you couldn't heal on the Sabbath. In fact, even the rabbinic tradition said that if it was a case of kind of life and death, you could heal somebody on the Sabbath. But they're just trying to kind of get Jesus in trouble, trying to catch him in something, get that he's close enough to doing something he's not supposed to. And in kind of another mic drop situation, Jesus ends up healing the guy by not even doing anything, right? He didn't work on the Sabbath. He just said, okay, guy, stretch out your hand. And it was healed. So maybe if he like had took the guy's hand and was massaging it, or maybe if he had like got a bunch of ingredients together and mixed together a potion to give to the guy to drink or whatever. But no, no, he, he literally did nothing. He didn't work. Um, and yet he was still healing the guy on the Sabbath. It's almost like God is uh, showing his approval of Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath, what he had just said, because the guy's hand was healed literally at Jesus' word. So Jesus has the authority of God. It's kind of like if you remember the story of the paralytic, who Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, oh, you can't, who, who can really say that? He said, okay, to show that what I said was true, I'm going to actually do this miracle. And I'm going to tell this paralytic to get up and walk to kind of prove that. So he had just said he's Lord of the Sabbath, so he can call the shots on the law. And now he's showing uh, he has the authority and power. So that makes what he's saying true. Now, who had the authority before Jesus comes on the scene? The Pharisees had the authority. So as Jesus is displaying authority over the Pharisees and their way of life, that causes them to walk away furious, it says in verse 11. Um, I don't think they were especially bothered that Jesus and his disciples had prepped a little bit of food on the Sabbath. What do they care? They weren't especially bothered that he'd healed somebody on the Sabbath. The issue was an authority issue. And the thought of losing their own authority leads them to begin, really it's here, that they begin their plot to 
take down Jesus, that it uh, eventually leads to his death, okay? And then kind of in contrast to that, I don't know if it, Luke sets it up purposely this way, but so you have the Pharisees starting to work um, along with others against Jesus, and now Jesus, with these apostles, starts to form his own team of sorts, right? So apostle means um, uh, somebody who is sent or a missionary, and um, it lists the 12 men here. If you wonder why is this list a little bit different than the 12 men listed in uh, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark, most of them are the same, but there's a couple of differences. Well, Matthew mentioned here is Levi. A lot of Jews had two names. Matthew is Levi. Um, Bartholomew is um, Nathaniel that is mentioned in the other Gospels. And here where it says Judas, the son of James, well, that is who the Gospel writer Mark calls Thaddeus. Okay, so um, it's, real, it's the same 12 men. It's just they kind of go by different names at different times, just like Simon Peter, right? Same guy, two different names. Um, I would just point out about this section before we end that Jesus himself, the very son of God, was a prayer. He, he prayed to the Lord. This isn't the first time we've seen this. It won't be the last. Sometimes, apparently, like here, he prayed all night long. So maybe that has some application to us who we aren't even the son of God, right? Um, and then secondly, I can't help but notice in, in this section here with the apostles, some comparing to what happened in the Old Testament, the old versus the new. In the old, Moses goes up on a mountain, Mount Sinai, to hear from God. Here, Jesus goes up on a mountain and spends time in prayer with God. Is this a kind of a, a new way of thinking about a new law that's going to be received? And then God in the Old Testament, he chose the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And here Jesus chooses the, the 12 apostles. So I think there's something going on here, the new and the old. And Jesus is definitely saying we're entering into a new age. So get ready to receive me. Um, so I just want to suggest um, that you... Uh, as, as I'm done here, that you just go ahead and read these sections again one more time through and then make some observations about God and about humanity. And um, those we're doing this just to kind of make sure that we understand what the text itself says in its own context. And then at the end, you can reflect on um, bridging the story into our own context. And how could this actually make a difference in our own lives?